where you can adjust the speed, you know, like 1.0 or 1.5. I hope I can, I can maybe get to between 1.5 and 2 this morning. So hang on. Buckled up, buckle up. <laughs> we'll see what we can do. I don't want to take away from what we're doing. As we enter into chapter 15, the big picture is this is Jesus' journey. Slowly, Luke is tracing his journey up to Jerusalem. Now, from the Galilee, it's about 117 kilometers in that neighborhood, 80-some miles. Could you imagine walking that three times a year? And that's what they did. Now, that would take some time, and they would stop along the way in some of these synagogues, and Jesus would minister the word uh, to people. And, and, of course, there would be the establishment members there in the various synagogues watching Jesus to see what he would do, you know. And he's, they're really, as we've read here, they are making and finding fault with him because he's taking time to spend uh, with sinners and with tax collectors. And the Pharisees are angry with him, uh, as we'll see here, not just because he uh, is doing what they can't do, they're jealous of him, uh, but he's not condemning the sinners like they do. He's actually dining with them, which in their minds is acceptance of their sin and their, their lifestyles, which couldn't be uh, further from the truth. And so in order to help them understand, he, he breaks out these parables, these stories. We covered Two of these in the Divine Initiative, part one last week, uh, where he spoke the parable of the lost sheep, and then also the parable of the lost coin, in which the owners were the seekers. But in this third story, the parable of the lost son, it becomes the lost son who becomes the seeker. He's being drawn uh, out of need uh, back home to his father, so... um, this is where we'll pick it up in verse 11. So uh, I'm going to have you some, do some Christian calisthenics and stand one more time <laughs> as I read verses 11 through 32. Then he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. Not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and journeyed to a far country, and there he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. And when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything And when he had come to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to eat and spare? And I perish with hunger. I will rise and go to my father. I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it. Let us eat and be merry. 
For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they begin to make merry. Now his older son was in the field, and when he came and drew near to the house, he heard the music and dancing, and so he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. He said to them, Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. And so he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I've never transgressed your commandment at any time, and you never gave me a young goat that I may make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, you who's devoured your livelihood with the harlots, and you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you're always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Part two here of the divine initiative, you know, considering these three parables, you know, the first, the sheep, which would be your job or your business, what happens if you lose your job or your business? The second, the lost coin, what if you lose your savings? How about your investments evaporate, kind of evaporating anyway, whether you appreciate it or not, I mean, with inflation, right? <laughs> What's next? Wow, even more important than that is what if you lose your relatives or your friends that are near you? What next? You know, if we lose something, it sets us into action. We don't sit back and wait. We don't relax with such losses. And do not think for a minute that God is relaxing in heaven, sitting back on his throne with his feet kicked up on the earth and has his footstool, right? Just kind of hoping and praying that someday that these poor deplorables that live on the earth will repent and come to him. No, he's working intentionally, daily, in the lives of those who are lost. Those that are outside of grace, he's working to bring them to himself. You know, for us who have put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, there's always hope. No matter how dark the day may be or how rough our trials might be, there's always hope. This is what we have in Christ. This is why Jesus came to, make us, to help us to understand the grace of God, the mercy of God, and help us in our fallenness. Does that not what the Scripture tells us? That the Son of Man came to save that which is lost. And this really is an illustration. This is parable is to the leadership, to the establishment, how God thinks of what they considered the deplorables. The bag of deplorables, you know. God has set his heart on seeking those who are estranged from him. And he wanted to communicate that through these parables. So the lost son here represents those who knowingly and willingly run away from the truth. How many of us have been guilty at some point in time of running from God as if we could escape him as David proclaimed in the Psalms, if I go to the highest heavens, you're there. If I go to the lowest parts of the earth, you're there. It doesn't matter where I go, you're there. And the problem was that place, wherever I go, is I'm there, right? But here's we read in this story, I love this word that 
Luke uses quite often in his writings when he's telling these stories. He says here, a certain man, not just any man, but a certain man. And I think I always point this out because I love it. And I think it's important that you and I be reminded that we are certain in the mind of God. You are a certain person. You are not lost in this mass of humanity that God doesn't know anything about you. If the very hairs on your head are all numbered, if he knows when the sparrow hits the ground in death, he knows all about you. And you are of more value than birds. God is very concerned about you. He's very concerned about his purpose for your life, your destiny. If you have any doubt about that, just ask him. He will speak to you concerning that. So those who have strayed from God are not just people. There are certain people that God is looking for, and he's hunting them down. He's haunting them by his Holy Spirit, if you will. He will not give up. He will not rest until he, in, in any way possible, cause them to return to him. So this parable is to drive home the great love that God has for mankind to demonstrate to those that are prodigals, not to run away. You may have run away physically, but don't run away in your heart. You need to reconnect with your heavenly Father. The love of God is immeasurable. He loves His creation. He loves the earth. He loves everything that He made. And even though it's in this cursed condition because of our rebellion, He loves it. And He loves us because we are created in His image. And one of the things that God made us with being made in His image and having the status as His representatives is that we have free will. God honors our choice. He does not even allow the angels to violate our ability to choose. The enemy can't possess us. He can't take control of us. The only way that could possibly happen to someone is if they yield their will to them. They must give consent. And that's another story and another issue altogether. So we, mankind, have the ability to choose our path. We can choose to be, live separate from God, run away from Him, or we can choose to incorporate Him and allow Him to be part of our lives and we can be part of His family. And so this is really a story about the exercise of free will, is it not? A certain man who had two sons and he also had great wealth and he honored the choice of his younger son. You know, the second, you know, they refer to it as second child syndrome, right? For those of you who are second child or middle child, you sometimes struggle with not getting the same amount of attention that the older sibling of yours may have received. And, and this is what it's referred to as a second child syndrome. There seems to be some partiality with mom and dad. Things have changed. You know, the first one out of the gate, so to speak, is we're careful and we're observing. Well, now that we're used to having kids and this is the way it is, we're not quite as attentive. And the kids kind of pick up on that, apparently. But the key really is uh, mom and dad... Just try not to show partiality. Be, be the same as much as possible uh, with all your children, and that uh, helps a lot. But for some reason, this fellow in second place was struggling with there, and so he came up with the idea of, hey, Dad, give me what's mine. And so 
the father acknowledged his free choice and honored his choice, and he gave him the inheritance, as we've read. Notice also that not only did, and this is important, not only did the younger son receive his inheritance, so also did the elder son. Now, we're looking primarily at three things here in the next 20 minutes. The rebelling, the returning, and the restoration of this younger son. Now, we know rebellion is a bad way to go, and uh, we've all probably experienced that attitude a time or two, some of us to a greater extent than others, and with uh, following consequences if we held on to that. The Bible tells us that rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft or divination, that stubbornness or presumption, in reality, that's what that word means, stubbornness is presumption, is as the iniquity and idolatry. Rebellion is to revolt, it's to be contentious. You know, this is scripture there in First Samuel, as I read there, is the story of Saul and his leadership as the king of Israel. And he was commanded by God to take out the uh, Amalekites. Uh, they were had a, a kaharim, a death sentence. They were devoted to destruction for their wickedness and how they treated Israel coming out of Egypt. And it was up to Saul to carry out the command of the Lord. Well, he did not do that, did he? Uh, so we're in you know, 1 Samuel 15, if you want to read this on your own at some point in time. But for the sake of time, Samuel is rehearsing to Saul what his sins were in, in, in rebellion. You rebelled against the command of the Lord. He told you to take out the Amalekites and you chose not to take out the king. You chose not to kill all the, the livestock as you were commanded. And you presumed to know what was the right thing to do. Now, this is what happens in the heart and the attitude of someone who's running from the Lord. We begin to think we know, we sort of think that the life that we've had up to that point in the linear fashion is going to be projected into the future. We view our past and the good things that we've experienced will be waiting for us as we uh, go into the future, and that's a presumption. No one should think that or presume that. We don't know what tomorrow holds but we know who holds tomorrow, and that's the one we should be clinging to. The second son was presumptuous, and he put his will above that which his father, and more importantly, what was the will of God. He gathered up his things. He took off for a far country. He wants to get away from his family. He's tired of the yoke of his father. He doesn't want to submit to his older brother or be told by older brother what to do and how to do the chores, right? Or whatever it may have been. There was a motive to get out and be his own man. He rebelled against his father's rule. He squandered his inheritance with riotous living. And he didn't just stop there. He spent it all. He didn't think and he assumed that he would probably, with all that great wealth, he would never lack. He would never come short. He never dreamed that there would be a famine in the land. You know, rebelling against the established authority, what it does is it removes the protective covering that God has established with authority. 
If you are under God's authority, you're also under his protection. If you rebel against God, you lose that protection. And I've used the illustration of an umbrella. If you stand under your umbrella in a downpour of rain, you are protected from the rain with that umbrella. That is the being under authority, being under the umbrella of God's protection. You're protected from the Satan and the attacks of the enemy. But if you get outside that, just as you get outside uh, and fail to use your umbrella, you're going to get hammered with rain. You're going to get wet. So also the rebel gets assaulted by the enemy. And this is what happens. Thankfully, the Lord protects us because there's an enemy that if, if he was allowed to do what he really liked to do to mankind, we'd all be dead in a moment. But God protects us from the greatest rebel of all. God has promised to be with us if we're willing to ask him to protect us. He will. You ever notice that this rebellious attitude seems to compound trouble in the people's lives who possess it? The inner darkness clouds their vision. They make wrong choices. As it says in verse 14, that he suffered great need. People who rebel will come to that point where they are, will be in great need. He may have ignored the spiritual law that most of us are aware of. It's the spiritual law of sowing and reaping. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. This is what tells us in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7. You can pull that up. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he shall also reap. For he who sows to the flesh will of his flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. The deception here says, be not deceived. The deception is that the person who is sowing to the flesh thinks he may get away with it, that the harvest that he will receive, which always happens after you sow, won't be that bad. But one of the principles in sowing is that you always receive more in harvest than you initially planted. You plant one corn seed and you get a corn plant, but on that corn plant you have two ears with many seeds on those ears. You always receive more in harvest than you sow. And this is true of, in this spiritual law. If you sow to the wind evil things, you will reap the whirlwind and you will not like the harvest whatsoever. So for you and I, as Christians, no matter who you are, this applies to all of us, I have to answer the question, what kind of harvest do I want? What kind of harvest do you want to have at the end of your life? What do you want to reap? Well, if you do good, it'll come to you. The more good you do, the more good you're going to reap. So it's really up to us. What am I sowing? Oh, Lord, please help me to sow what is good, what is right. Notice here it says that he joined himself in verse 15 uh, to a citizen, literally glued himself to. He made a commitment to this person. Now he's getting desperate. Seems like he's fearful. He's lost everything. He's looking for security. And this is what happens to people who rebel. Eventually they're filled with fear. They're filled with insecurity. The foundation that they had been building on is eroded. They have none. They're they're hanging in the wind, and they know it. There's great insecurity and fear. Look at the fear that, you know, read the life of Saul's referred to him earlier. He was afraid of his enemies. 
He was afraid of David, who loved him and wanted to serve him, but he was afraid of David. He was afraid, so afraid of what God was going to allow happen in his life, he went and inquired of a witch. I mean, fear dominated his life. You know, and you know who really is the most fearful, and this might come as a shock to us, Satan is actually the most fearful person there is. He's so full of pride. He's so insecure. He tries to kill everybody. He lives in fear. He's very insecure. Why? Because he knows he's defeated. He has been defeated at the cross. Yes, the carpenter took him out with his shed blood on the cross. Thank you, Lord. He knows he's defeated, but all he's trying to do is delay the inevitable. But one day, the inevitable will come. And thank the Lord, he'll get what's coming to him. The sooner the better as far as we're concerned. But he made a commitment to this citizen. And to make a commitment, see, he really now understands. He's going back to his roots, this younger son. He really understands what an employer is looking for in an employee, and that's commitment. This is what really his dad was trying to teach him. And it appears to me, anyway, it seems to me, this is maybe one of the reasons he split. I don't want to do this anymore. You know, he left this, in, this environment of discipline and rule following because this is actually what led to his dad's prosperity. He kept his hand to the plow. He worked hard. He honored God. And God prospered him and blessed him. Well, apparently the younger son didn't quite want to do that. But he realizes that as a truth, and so he's go going to this guy and attaching himself, gluing himself to, he's making a commitment to this guy. Now, this guy didn't have much respect for him because he's a foreigner, and he gives him a job feeding pigs. Now, that's not really one of the better jobs to have. That's not, you know, plush at all. In fact, as a Jew, that's not really something you would want to be doing since it's uh, an unclean animal. He's serving in an occupation contrary to his conscience. It's a degrading occupation. You know, it's one thing to be a foreigner in a country. It's another thing to be treated like one. And this is, notice what it says there. No one gave him anything. Anything there is in, Ital in italics, so it's not really there in the Greek. So no one gave him. Nobody cared about him. He was, he was all alone. This guy had burned every bridge possible. He had so abused relationship and taken advantage of other people, he was now alone with the pigs. I mean, how low can you go, right? And this is what happens. Rebellion leaves you in a wake of destruction. It's full of pain. It's full of sorrow. But sometimes you have to get to the point in your downward ascent that you can't get any lower. You have to come to that point of complete want and complete need. And it's at that point that people who have rebelled are most open to change, and then they're not until. You know, at that point, they begin to think. It says here that he began to think and reason within himself. He came to himself. Wow. This is what God wants from us. Pull up, if you will, Isaiah 1, 18 through 20. This is the Lord himself saying, come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, 
They shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. There is no neutral ground. It is either one or the other. We will either go his way or we will suffer accordingly. I remember the words. They're still vividly written in my mind. When I would rebel as a little boy against the command of my mother. All right, Gregory? If you're not going to listen, then you're going to have to feel. (laughs) So that usually woke me up and straightened me out, at least temporarily. Hmm. He came to himself. This is the beginning of the return. So important for people to come to themselves. If you've got someone who is... has run away from the Lord, ran away from home, and they're on their run from the truth, this is what we pray. God, bring them down. Bring them to the place where they can come to themselves and begin to reason and think. Maybe they remember how good it was in their father's house and how you tried as a parent maybe to, to love them and provide for them and do everything you could to make life the best for them. On the other side, there are some who never had that. And our hearts go out to those who, when they think of going home to Father, they think, I'm not going to that guy. He's abused me. He mistreated me. Some people don't have that to go back to. So this is where the gospel comes in. You know, they may not have good news waiting for them to go home to their father because of their upbringing. But we have good news because there's a Father in heaven who loves them. And we're going to see how much in this story, how much the Heavenly Father cares for us because it's played out in the life of this Father. There's good news. There's a perfect Holy Father in heaven waiting for each one of us to return to Him. His hands are held out. His arms are open wide. He's inviting you and me regularly to come to Him, return to Him in our rebellion. He thinks, in in my Father's house there's plenty. Don't ever forget that. Do you think God's hand is short that He cannot save? Do you think that God who created the stars and the planets and this universe that's immeasurable, that's continually expanding, is unable to provide for your needs and meet you where you're at and show you how to live your life? Oh, there's plenty there. And he says to himself, five things that he does. I will arise. I will go. I will confess to him. I will accept the lowest position. And so he gets up and he goes. And what happens next is the most surprising thing to him. And it is surprising to you and I who have repented of our sins and we come to the Father and we find out that God isn't angry with us, but that He actually loves us and that He's willing to forgive us. And all that's on God's mind is total restoration, just like this Father. He's blown away. He thinks He's going to get a tongue lashing. I told you, son, you shouldn't have done that. I gave you all that and look what you did to it. He's expecting to get hammered. 
I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure you, it seems to me that's what I would be thinking. I mean, our hearts condemn us when we do things that are wrong. We know we're guilty, right? But that's not who our God is. He knows we're fallen. He knows we've sinned. He's made provisions for that. It's not about that anymore. He's not accusing us. He wants to forgive us, but that has to be precipitated by repentance and an acknowledgement. I will confess to him. I'll tell the truth. I'll stop lying to him. I'll tell him the truth. And I love the way the father responded. He saw his son at a distance. You know, every day. Maybe he's going to come home. How many of you parents, I've heard the stories, it's heartbreaking. When children run, every day your heart yearns for them to return and get right with God. And so you just see this father anticipating that God's going to answer his prayers. And I say to you this morning, God's going to answer your prayers for your children because he loves them. And he wants them reconciled even more than you want to be reconciled with them. You saw his Son at a distance. You know, God is at a distance right now for you and for me. He can't come into our realm because that'd be the end of us, right? He's holy and we're not. He's seeing us at a distance. He's watching us from a distance. But he sees it all. He is filled with compassion as we read and have read there. And when he sees his son break the horizon, man, he is off the porch and he's sprinting. He ran to his son And God sends his Holy Spirit upon you and upon me to bring us to repentance. And he's all over us, warming our hearts, letting us know that his spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. We are his. We are sealed with his spirit. We're not insecure anymore. We belong to God and he has a place waiting for us on the other side. He's making a home, a dwelling place for you and for me. Isn't that a wonderful gift? We deserve to be punished for our rebellions, and yet God's saying, no, I forgive you. Return to me and restore you. Look what I've got for you. Are you going to live with me here? This is going to be great. It's going to be wonderful. He fell on his neck, and he kissed him. Do you understand the affection that God has for you? I can't understand how we as believers can think anything else other than that. Well, you know, we're so concerned about our behavior that we slip and we say this, we this, and our hearts continually condemn us, and we fail to enter into the grace of God. This was the problem with the older son. We'll see here as we close. He couldn't receive grace. Well, the son, the younger son did. He got the best robe. He got the robe of righteousness. He became part of the royal family once again. He wasn't sort of really on the outside looking in when he was there initially, but now he's really on the inside, in, and he's in. He sees. He got a ring. He's part of the royal family. Bring out the sandals. He now got, has direction for his life. He knows where he's going. God is showing him what he's going to do the rest of his earthly life. That's what happens to us when we return. Bring on the fatted calf. We celebrate. We have the joy of the Lord. It becomes our strength. We party in the Lord. We're joyful in the Lord for his mercy and his grace. And yet the older son was really the prodigal heir. He's the one that's got a problem. He is a picture of the Pharisees here. This is what Jesus is trying to communicate. The younger son are the 
deplorables, the publicans, you know, the tax collectors and the sinners that Jesus is eating with. Yeah, they got problems with sin. They're sinners. And yet they are the ones receiving the teaching of Jesus. They understand his heart. They're getting it. And they believe that he is Messiah. And yet the Pharisees are standing there in their self-righteousness. In their anger, we see this as this problem with the older son. He comes home from doing his duty. He hears all the partying going on. And he becomes angry. And then he has a a resentful conversation with his father. He's angry with his father. Why are you so generous to him? Why are you doing this? You never gave me a young goat. You never made, let me marry with my friends and all. But as soon as this son of yours, he wouldn't even call him his brother, the resentment and the anger that he had towards his younger brother. In reality, at one time, this father had two lost sons, did he not? Deep resentment, unforgiveness towards his brother. And this is the state of the Pharisees as they look down their self-righteous noses at the, at the commoners. This is what religious people do. They judge others. It's sad. They don't ever taste the grace of God. The older son was filled with anger. He had unconfessed sin. Again, he was upset with his father and he was angry with his younger brother because he was foolish and he wasted the wealth of the family. As Ephesians 4 says, we're to let all bitterness, wrath, and anger, and clamor, and evil speaking be put away from us with all malice. We're to be kind to one another, tenderhearted, and forgiving one another, even as God has forgiven us in Christ. This man was self-righteous. I never transgressed your commandment. I did everything you told me to do. See, that was the attitude of the Pharisees. We're keeping the law, although they weren't, but they thought they were. And they became judges rather they became judges of the law rather than doers of the law. You see, a person who's into legalistic living can never extend grace. They can never be humble because they're full of pride. They can't accept other people that are repentant because they're under the law. They're not under grace. This son of yours. Oh, how sad. They never entered into the grace of God. Neither did this older son. We don't really know what happened. We don't know if he repented. But you understand, it's too bad because he had his inheritance too. He could have thrown a party for himself with his friends anytime he wanted and this is what happens when you live under the law. You never experience the, abundance, the abundant life in Christ. If you're a legalistic person and you live by, uh, as it were, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> if you live, as it were, uh, by your works, you're worried about how you're performing. And if you're performing well, then God owes you. And if you're not performing well, then you're condemned. And you, you, your life is filled with this self-judgment. And then you project that upon others. And that's just really not the, how God wants us to live. And so Jesus is using this parable to reveal his gracious compassion that he has towards those who return, those who repent. He doesn't condemn us. He doesn't rebuke us. He freely forgives and restores sinners like you and like me. 
when we do it from our heart. And I am just so thrilled this morning that we've had two people in the recent past repent and return. And make, they're going to make a public confession here of their faith. And then we are going to make merry. <laughs> and we're going to eat together and enjoy each other's company. We're going to celebrate the work of God that God has done in, in the lives of Kyle and the life of Jody. And oh, we'll let them share with their own, uh, their own testimony with you. So, fellas, if you'll come up here and lead us in a couple songs, we're going to bring the kids up now. Uh, but let me, you guys can keep coming as I pray. Father, I thank you for your word. And now as we continue the rest of the service here, Father, we pray that it would be a special, special experience, Lord, for Kyle and for Jody, Lord. This is a special time because they're being obedient to the command to be baptized. They want others to know that they've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, and they are now part of your family they're warriors and part of your army, Lord. And so we pray, Father, that you'll bless them with a good conscience now as they make a public witness of their faith. In Jesus' name, amen. They're not that tall. that you have given and the promise of your word Lord I stand in wonder of the sacrifice you made Your love is deeper 
shine the stars in the sky Jesus your love has no bounds Jesus your love has no bounds Jesus Lord of heaven Deserve the grace 